Funding for Still Newtown is made possible in part by a grant from Connecticut Humanities. Chris Kelsey's job description does not prepare you for the role he plays in this story. Chris was the tax assessor for the town of Newtown, Connecticut in December of 2012. Our job is to compile a grand list, um, which is a basis for all taxable property in town. Real estate, motor vehicle, personal property, we're tasked with discovering it, valuing it, uh, and eventually getting tax bills out on that. Chris was finishing up with some work in the town's municipal building and left the office in the middle of the day. He thought he might get a haircut. It was shortly after the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. I just needed to step out for a little bit. And I saw a FedEx guy trying to deliver cases of uh, teddy bears into the building. So I decided I needed to help. Chris knew the teddy bears were supposed to go across the street to a parks and rec building. So I gently pushed him out of the building and directed him across the street. I then went to make a sign just to get people out of the building because it was getting overwhelming. I think I was the first supervisor to walk into the building, so um, people started asking what they should be doing. And then eventually I asked what we needed. In a situation like that, I found it was much better to ask, uh, what do you need instead of what can I do? Because we need space to store all this stuff. Chris's job is to know where all the taxable property is in town. That means he has a list, that grand list he mentioned, with contact info for all the landlords, the addresses of all the vacant spots in town. It's a list that's really helpful if you're trying to find out where to put a lot of stuff. And after the tragedy, Newtown was filled with stuff. This is still Newtown from WSHU Public Radio. I'm Davis Donovan. In our final episode, we follow that stuff as it becomes part of a permanent memorial to remember what happened here 10 years ago. Chris Kelsey wasn't the only person in Newtown trying to deal with the enormity of all the gifts. It was flowers. It was teddy bears. Newtown Public Works Director Fred Hurley. We had thousands of snowflakes that were sent in boxes and, and mailbags from all over the country of school children that had traced these, these uh, snowflakes uh, to send to the children of Newtown. They got enough snowflakes from a national campaign to fill nine semi-trucks. There were also at least 65,000 teddy bears and hundreds of thousands of letters. The outpouring uh, was, was staggering. Um, Virginia Tech had contacted us and asked if we needed help in, in handling the mail. Virginia Tech, where 32 people were killed in 2007. And they said they had handled some 80,000 pieces of mail. By the time that that call came in, I think we had already received and processed seven or 800,000 pieces of mail. Some of the gifts went to the town's Department of Public Works. Chris Kelsey, the tax assessor, also found an empty warehouse and a relief agency from the Seventh-day Adventists came to town to help out. But Chris was surprised by everything that came in. You know, you get a pallet of bicycles in or a pallet of sleds. You know, when somebody sent something, they sent a case of them, just a giant box of batteries, figuring all this stuff needed batteries. So we had a pallet of batteries. We'd have tissues. People sent boxes and boxes of tissues. People kind of understood that it would, people would be crying, and they sent in tissues. Um, it was weird to get socks. It was weird to get underwear. Food was always strange, um, and that was just a logistical headache because we actually had to have a refrigerated truck 
um, to try to keep a case of hams cold so they didn't go bad. You know, you know. So you know, we wound up donating those to homeless shelters because you can only distribute so much. A lot of the mail, the letters, and artwork ended up at the municipal center where the town government offices are. I covered this as a young reporter. And I remember walking through the municipal center and seeing its long white halls, crowded with gifts and tributes, big banners from other schools where all the students sign their names, letters from kids with crayon drawings. It's hard for me now to remember many individual tributes 10 years later, but I'll never forget the sight of it all together as long as I live. Yoli Moreno remembers it too. She walked in one day shortly after the tragedy. Volunteers were sorting the mail and putting them in trays. Um, the entire length of the hall was decorated with banners and quilts and artwork and trays and trays of letters that were coming in. I asked, you know, what are we going to do with all of this stuff? Yoli was one of dozens of volunteers that helped to sort and organize the gifts and letters. She knew there was too much here to ever make sense of. Another volunteer decided we should write people back and email people back. And so we had a group of people writing thank you notes. We were doing it by state, by country. Then we'd be like, okay, we're going to have volunteer favorites, letters, artwork, donation cards, trees that were planted, uh, declarations and proclamations from towns and cities all over the world, prayer cards. And then she'd drop off boxes at a town facility. I'd see all this other stuff I hadn't seen, which sent me spiraling into, oh my God, what am I going to do? I, I, I can't do all of this. I certainly can't. So I just took pictures. Yoli brought loads of letters and artwork back to her house. She has a big barn on her property. And once I got it to something that I'd like, I had cut a hole in the loft of my barn. Then I would walk up and then take one giant photograph of it, because by the end, it was just a lot. Yoli managed to document more than 20,000 pieces of art. She made a website to host them, embracingnewtown.com. Yoli pulls up a few examples on her computer. This one. So, so describe what we're looking at. So it's just a red piece of paper that says no words, and it says from Trey, a parent of a second grader in Texas. Because that really did just sum it up. There were no words. That one, that one was the one that caught me when I was going through. Yeah, this picture of two kids crying. With a little poem underneath it. We know you may be sad. You may have lost a friend. You have every right to cry. We all know it's hard to say goodbye. <laughs> I saw crying this stuff. This was Columbine High School sent a banner where, I mean, thousands of signatures. And it's like Columbine with a heart to Sandy Hook Elementary School. And that stayed up for a very long time in the municipal center. I remember seeing that. Yeah, and it's just so sad because when you think back and between then and now, how many school shootings there have been. And, you know, we sent banners from here to everywhere. We sent one to Uvalde. Of course. Um, it's it's what you do. We sent one to, there was a school shooting in um, Afghanistan. We sent something there. You feel you have to do something and you want to send a banner. You want to send a, a card. You know, like I personally never did because I know what it's like to 
you know, just have to manage with that physical thing in just overwhelming quantities. I mean, we only captured a speck of it, but I, I suspect that we got millions of individual letters and pieces of paper. A lot of the gifts came through the mail, but some were actually left out on the streets by people who came to Newtown. Public Works Director Fred Hurley says spontaneous clusters of memorials sprung up across town with flowers, wreaths, and banners. I think the the most unique thing that was left was a a white wooden upright piano that people would stop and, and play music on. Newtown is not a big city. It's a town of less than 30,000 people with narrow, winding roads. It's not built to handle the influx of mail or big, elaborate memorials. And this is not exactly a problem many small towns prepare for. The logistics became a major issue for First Selectman Pat Lodra, who led her town after the tragedy. What do you do with the hundreds of thousands of things that are on your street corners, the signs and the teddy bears and the flowers and the vases and the artwork? and the well, That has to be dealt with. We didn't want it to just start looking awful uh, a, as a very sad reminder. We wanted the beauty of it to be sustained and remain in, the, in people's minds. But, you know, we had snow and rain. We needed to deal with the reality of that stuff. Pat Lodra and Public Works Director Fred Hurley talked it over with their team. They had a tough decision to make. Some of the roadside memorials weren't in good shape. Particularly a lot of the stuffed animals were really getting pretty ratty because they were wet, they were damp. Uh, In some cases, you already had mold forming on on some of the items that were left out there. I'm not going to say it was going to be a health hazard, but it, it was going to be in its own way a hazard. Pat Lodra says they never considered throwing away any of the gifts people sent to Newtown. We thought that would be disrespectful. So they decided to give an opportunity to the families who lost loved ones. The families of loss have first choice on anything that comes to the community, as it should be. And I hope it is everywhere there's a tragedy. One of the first families that I had met, it was right before Christmas, and they had heard about the warehouse. Chris Kelsey again, the tax assessor who helped to run the warehouse. They weren't able to do any of their Christmas shopping because, you know, life had been turned upside down for everybody. So Christmas Eve came in. Um, He then came back with his son uh, and his wife and we gave him a shopping cart and he was able to kind of collect whatever he wanted. And for teddy bears, at that point, we really hadn't started sorting them. We were just piling them up. Um, His son was actually able to climb the pile of teddy bears and grab onto the roof rafters. Chris says the town tried to get gifts into the hands of people who needed them. They sent winter clothes to needy families and children's books to schools. Fred Hurley says the town sent some of the teddy bears to children's hospitals and police departments around the country. We had one story of an Arizona trooper that would carry some teddy bears in his trunk. So if he had to stop and there were young children at the stop, to put their mind at ease, he would give them a stuffed animal. Almost all the usable gifts found a home somewhere, but there was still so much left. So right around Christmas, around two weeks after the shooting, First Selectman Pat Lodra asked the world to stop sending gifts, and she announced many of the gifts would be turned into what she called sacred soil for a future memorial to the tragedy. Essentially, they'd be cremated. 
everything can be combusted at a very high heat level and burned to a powder, uh, you know, almost like a soil, fine grain sand thing. So we're going to make that soil part of the memorial because that's a way to honor the intent of the donors who were so gracious and so generous to us. First, they had to collect all those roadside memorials. They needed to do it when there'd be as few people out on the roads as possible. So the Public Works Department chose a quiet winter night after Christmas. And at 11 o'clock, we gathered together all of our personnel to pick this up. And they drove around town. All up and down the street around where the memorials were. And our manpower literally loaded all of these items, the candles, the cards, uh, the animals, anything that was out there in the snow. In some cases, we had to literally dig the items out of the snow. The night was mostly quiet. After midnight, we had one little incident where uh, a woman had come out and saw us taking down a banner that was uh, on the bridge in Sandy Hook. And she, she got very emotional about it, that you can't take my banner and throw it away. And, and we explained again what ultimately we were going to do that we were going to take all of these memorial items, they were going to be cremated, they were going to be consolidated, and they were going to go in forever to the uh, memorial. And, th and that, that put her mind at peace, that the feelings that went into all these items was going to be honored. Almost a year later, they took the roadside memorials, along with many of the letters, artwork, and other gifts, to a burn facility in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Fred was there, and so was Yoli Moreno, the woman who spent so much time documenting tens of thousands of those letters. There's video of this burn taken for a web documentary called The Story of the Stuff. Yoli and I watched the footage together as workers bring truckloads of gifts into the facility. Heavy machinery is standing by to load it into the furnace. And, um, you know, the claws just kind of come and pick it up. It goes into this vat and just like a, a giant garbage disposal and incinerator. She can make out specific gifts, some she recognizes. Here's like teddy bears and flags, and I can see the bo my boxes, you know, of letters. You become really familiar with a lot of it. it, it it's very surreal. It, it was surreal then and even more surreal now that I'm looking at it. Like, and you look through this window and you can see it burning, and then it comes out into a box. And then, you know, this is like this sort of final act, this final act of burning this and seeing ashes that don't even take up like a three by three by three box was a very surreal experience. And at the end of it, we had a gray powdery pumice that was the sacred soil. Public Works Director Fred Hurley shows me a small sample of the sacred soil. He keeps it in a clear plastic container next to his desk. There's not a lot to describe about it. Um, it's not like there's a lot of elegant colors or that you could really do anything with it, but it just really looks like a, a gray sand, which is what's left over uh, after the cremation. And that's metals and cards and teddy bears and snowflakes all together. Chris Kelsey. It was a great solution just to not throw stuff in the garbage. That was always key to me. I didn't want to throw anything away because somebody somewhere thought about that and it was important to them. So you didn't want to discard that and just throw it out. So it preserves kind of everybody's goodwill forever, which I think was awesome. This was about bearing witness and it was also about just encapsulating this 
what human beings will do when faced with not being able to help anybody in any other way is to just kind of send a piece of themselves to you to show you that they care. It's like something existed, you know, someone existed, an event happened, and the only way to remember it is to document it. And that I feel is really one of the most important things we as human beings can do, because if you don't have this, then how will anybody ever know? After a short break, the sacred soil makes its way into a permanent memorial to the Sandy Hook tragedy. This is still Newtown. If you find Still Newtown compelling, you'll want to listen to a series from Colorado Public Radio called Since Columbine. I didn't really tell you about Columbine until you were 11 years old, but prior to that, you knew every April I would go to the school and you would always ask, why Why are you going there? And I was like, this is a, a s- sad day for mommy and you know, someday I'll share it with you. In 2019, reporters Nathaniel Miner and Andrea Dukakis reported on the 20th anniversary of the Columbine High School shooting, how survivors found a way to move forward, and how the tragedy changed the country. Since Columbine from Colorado Public Radio is available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Still Newtown from WSHU Public Radio. I'm Davis Donovan. Dan Krause's child was in second grade at Sandy Hook Elementary School on December 14, 2012. They survived. And it made Dan want to help. Plus, he'd always wanted to get more involved in the town. In the immediate aftermath, you know, first few weeks, months, I really kind of struggled to find something that I could do to help the community. I went to a bunch of different meetings from different organizations, some political, some not political, and I just wanted something different. Um, And then I saw that they were looking for people to participate in a commission to design and build a memorial. Dan became one of 12 Newtown residents on the commission. Alan Martin was another one. He's a longtime resident who loves getting involved. For me, it was an easy commitment. We've been involved in Newtown for about 45, 48 years. I've been on boards and commissions the entire time. And both our daughters went to San Diego School. So when Pat Lodge put out the announcement they want people to serve on the commission, I knew I had to serve in the commission. This was sort of like my capstone on my civic involvement in Newtown. The commission met for the first time in 2013. The idea was to think carefully about what a memorial would mean to the town and the families. Pat Lodra, the town's first selectman, told them at the meeting, don't rush. In fact, they didn't even commit to actually building a memorial. In the months following the shooting, we started to deal with that challenge of how do we memorialize this? Should there be a memorial? Where would it be? How would it be designed? Who would pay for it? And not everybody's on the same page, whether or not even there should be a memorial. But that is where we've ended up. Hat Lodra joined the commission after she retired. Over the years, they decided, first, yes, there should be a memorial. Then they had to figure out where to put it. Longtime resident Alan Martin again. And we looked at about 17 sites. We ultimately zeroed down to three, and then, of course, the one we selected. The former site of a boys' club, just down the road from Sandy Hook Elementary School. Alan remembers the first time he toured the property. It's a beautiful little piece of land with about six acres. In the rough, it was really in the rough. It's been pretty much abandoned for 20 or 30 years. 
but we envision the possibilities of the fact that surrounded by nature, it's serenity, it's peaceful, it's bucolic. You could be by yourself and hear the birds chirping. Over the birds, Alan realized he could hear the sounds of kids laughing and playing, drifting in from Sandy Hook Elementary School. He says that's what convinced him it was the right place. But then they had to pick a design for the memorial. We had approximately 170, 180 people that initially submitted designs. That was a damn tough process. We went through every single design, the members of the commission, many, many nights. We struggled. We worked hard and we struggled, but we came to consensus ultimately. The original plan was for a $13 million memorial with a network of winding circular walkways and ponds. But officials worried that was too expensive. Even a scaled-down version was a tough sell. The budget was quite challenging. Dan Krause again. He ended up becoming the head of the commission. We had to figure out which one we're more happy with and what elements we didn't think were ultimately necessary. Um, You know, initially there were supposed to be some walkways around there. There was a bridge that was going to go over each of them, which would have been absolutely stunning and beautiful. But... It just wasn't realistic. Would have loved to have had an unlimited budget. But at the same time, we're a small town in Connecticut. We're not New York City. So uh, something big and grandiose wasn't really appropriate. So I think what we ultimately wound up with was very appropriate for our town. And what they wound up with is this a pool of water with an island in the middle. On the island is a single tree. Lining the pool are 26 concrete slabs, and each one bears the name of one of the victims. There's something about water and moving water that was attractive to all of us. Former First Selectman Pat Lodra. So we wanted a water feature, and and that sense of permanence being bricks and mortar. Daniel Krauss from the Permanent Memorial Commission. I wanted a place where you could come and remember, but also really anybody can come and find a a sense of peace and tranquility. And, you know, if they're having some sort of difficulty in their lives, come and sit and hopefully you'll find some quiet and, you know, be able to think and do what you need to do to bring some peace to their lives. For me, it's, it's really multifaceted. It's both remembering those that we lost, but also really hope for the future. It reminds me a little bit of the 9-11 uh, memorial, uh, the way the, the grace and the softness, the way the names are embedded in the surround for the water and the tree. It's round. Every person is represented equally in that space. There's no corners, there's no edges. We didn't want any hard surfaces. They also included some words from President Barack Obama from when he spoke in Newtown a few days after the shooting. Here in Newtown, I come to offer the love and prayers of a nation. His comments were wonderful. I mean, he's a wonderfully articulate and compassionate man, and I think he comported himself as a dad. You know, we saw him as a father who was looking at other parents who had the most horrific thing happen that could ever happen to them. He was so genuine and so honest in his dealing with us. We honored his words greatly. So we wanted to have part of what he said inscribed as part of our permanent memorial. 
I am very mindful that mere words cannot match the depths of your sorrow, nor can they heal your wounded hearts. I can only hope it helps for you to know that you're not alone in your grief, that our world, too, has been torn apart, that all across this land of ours, we have wept with you. Obama's words appear on a stone slab as you enter the memorial. Inside that slab is the sacred soil. I asked some Newtowners who've been a part of this series what 10 years means to them. Maggie Labanca, who was a third grader at Sandy Hook Elementary School, lost a good friend. She's now a college freshman. I don't really, couldn't make that long of a list about what's changed. It's been 10 years, and I, I mean, like, I'll repeat it over and over again. I don't feel safe. I don't feel that much has changed, and I feel that a lot of people have just kind of lived with it and moved on. But you can't really move on when this many people have died, and this many people are continuing to die. And I think that's really scary, and it's upsetting for me that now we're coming to this point where I'm starting to forget my friend, and there's nothing that I can say was done tremendously in their honor. John Voquette and Shannon Hicks of the Newtown Bee. Every family uh, uh, immediately impacted, including the educators, have some sort of a nonprofit effort that has emerged in honor of their lost loved one that is doing good. They've influenced global scientific minds to examine and create breakthroughs in brain science. They have influenced school systems around the world to initiate social-emotional learning, gun control, common sense gun safety. The ripple effects of this event, for every ripple that had negative implications, there's a positive one that's just rolling right out behind it. And it's all come out of that horrific day. I know that a lot of people keep trying. I keep trying. I try until I break and then I snap, I cry a little bit, or I get my feelings hurt because somebody is not nice to me. But then I wake up the next morning and I think, okay, let's keep trying this again. And I really do think that, especially as John said, those who lived here before, during, and still are still trying to make change. And if it's something as simple as what we were taught when we were children, just be nice to each other, that's not a bad place to start. Former First Selectman Pat Lodra. We always have to honor them. Those youngsters and those teachers, those adults that love them, their lives were robbed from them. We should never hide from that. The permanence of that recognition also embeds in us a permanent understanding that those awful things can happen and we need to treasure every human being every minute of our life because we don't know when it's not going to be available to us anymore. Reverend Matt Crevin, a Newtown pastor. In some ways, there's going to be no perfect response. So you have to listen as best you're able and discern as well as you can what, what can be most helpful. And admit that in a world where we don't want this kind of grief and we would never want to have this happen, it has happened in Newtown and it's going to be 10 years. Uh, and there's going to be a marker there. And, and how are we going to navigate that? 
as best we can and how we're going to practice compassion and love and forgiveness. Jenny Hubbard, who lost her daughter, Catherine. I live in these two different, (laughs) I call them two different time zones. Part of my life was 2012. Like, I can go back there in an instant and be there and I can see it, I can smell it, I can feel it. And then to think that it's been 10, it's been a decade Oh my gosh, like longer than Catherine lived. Um, Of course it's hard. It's also for me a poignant reminder, time is fleeting. And so, you know, I look at 10 years and I think how far I've come, but how far I have yet to go. This has been Still Newtown from WSHU Public Radio. Our editor was Cindy Carbian. Still Newtown was sound designed by John Pino. Our fact checkers, Janet Curtis, Margaret Osborne, Melanie Formosa, and Mallory Lawrence. Our assistant producer was Sabrina Garone. Our interns, Paul Keegan, Megan Briggs, Isabella Giardina, and Hilary Jean Bart. The executive editors, Terry Sheridan and J.D. Allen. Tom Kuzer is WSHU's Director of Programming. Our General Manager is Rima Dial, and our media partner on Still Newtown was the Newtown Bee. I'm Davis Donovan. Thanks for taking the time to listen.